You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Aloha and welcome. Thank you so much for joining us this Sunday for our Digital House Church here at Reality Honolulu. I'm Riz, the pastor here. If I have not met you, hopefully I have, or I will really soon. Um, Wanted to go ahead and give you some announcements before we get into the Word of God, our study of the book of Acts. And number one, number one, the biggest thing going on today as you watch this is tonight, this evening, is our barbecue and worship night at Central Intermediate, our new home. And this is the first time where we as a church will be able to gather and spend time fellowshipping and eating, as well as getting into our space where we're gonna be doing church and we're gonna be worshiping and praying and really dedicating this space and the space that our new home unto the Lord to spend this Sunday night not only rejoicing and fellowshipping and eating together, just being the church gathered in person, but also that we would ask God to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we can even think or, or imagine he would do in that space for his glory and his namesake. And so I want to make sure you're not only aware, but you're invited. It's family friendly. Um, We're going to have activity bags for your cakey and uh, tons of food. Uh, It's not too late to RSVP or come, even though it's today. But I anticipate it being a very rich and wonderful and amazing time together. Um, That said, you know we're almost a a month away or a little bit more than a month away uh, from starting Sunday mornings again. So what you're seeing right now will fade away and we will be present in person at Central Middle starting August 1st at 10 a.m. But the month of August, uh, excuse me, month of July here, we are going to be probably reaching out to every one of you that we know um, to ask where it is that you would be willing to serve and be a part of serving on Sunday mornings. We'll also have an online sign up For those that we don't know or that are new to the church, um, we would love you to pray about where God would have you serving on Sunday mornings. And um, so lots of information and lots of stuff that will come together the month of July, but we are moving forward with August 1st, 10 a.m. And we're so excited to be a church gathered weekly in person and digital house church in my backyard is a thing of the past. Um, I know you've been so gracious to see me on video every week, but I would prefer speaking to a a live audience in person instead of a camera. Um, And so very excited for that as you can tell. Um, But without further ado, what I wanna do is I wanna pray for our time in the Word of God. Right, that God's word would speak to us and shape us. We encounter the presence of the Lord in our time this morning. And guys, it's pretty crazy. We are only a few weeks away from finishing the book of Acts. This is like the third or fourth sermon before we transition to our new series in the Sermon on the Mount starting August 1st. But today we're going to be finishing chapter 25 and all of 26. And then you guessed it, there's only two more chapters, uh, Acts 27 and 28. 
And so I want to pray, though, that God really meets us and speaks to us and continues to mature us as disciples and followers of Jesus. And so why don't you join with me in praying for our time together and just rejoicing and praying for what God is doing in our midst uh, as a church family and community. God, thank you. Thank you so much for today. Thank you that we get the ability to gather online to not only worship, but to study your word and also to rejoice in what you're doing in our midst in this new season that you're entering us into. Really believe it's the best season yet for our church and our uh, our uh, realities, Ohana. This family that you are, uh, that you have made, that you're continuing to build up and grow and add to. And God, today, from your word, we ask that you would just speak to us uh, as we read this narrative, as we as we jump into what's going on with Paul and trials and kings, that you would not only give us understanding, but that you would really shape us and mold us and speak to us, Holy Spirit, uh, that which you want us to hear. Uh, and God, would you grow us this morning? Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as always, I encourage you to pull out your Bible or open your Bible app, and we together are going to read uh, the text. So again, we're going to be picking up where we left off last week. If you remember, Paul is on trial. He is... This is the fifth trial today that he's on. Um, we've studied all four of those. This is the, the final one here before he sails to Rome, which we'll see in next chapter. But he stands before uh, King Agrippa uh, today. And again, he was before Festus and Felix before that, the kind of the Roman governors of that area. And now King Agrippa gets... Uh, pulled in to kind of consult this situation. Um, these Roman governors are not quite understanding or grasping what the, the Sadducees and, and the Pharisees, these Jewish leaders, these, these uh, accusations that these Jewish leaders are bringing against Paul. Uh, King Agrippa is brought in as a consult. Um, he comes from a long line, the Herods, right? King Herod, um, we know, um, you know, as his grandfather here, King Agrippa's grandfather, King Herod, was the one who tried to kill uh, Jesus, baby Jesus, with the, the decree to kill all the firstborn. And then uh, King Agrippa's, uh, uh, excuse me, that was his great-grandfather. His grandfather was the one that beheaded John the Baptist, and his father was the one that martyred James. And so Paul here, which we're going to read today, is before uh, the line of Herods in King Agrippa, this long line of people that have persecuted the church, he stands before him because Festus, the Roman governor, has pulled him in for a consult. There's a little recap for you. But what I want to do is pick up Acts 25, uh, the end there, verses 23 through 27, and then we're going to jump right in and read the entirety of chapter 26. So bear with me, stay with me, jumping into this historic narrative in Caesarea by the sea there as Paul stands before King Agrippa. Okay, so here we go. Verse 23 of chapter 25 says this, the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered uh, the audience room with the high-ranking military officers and prominent men of the city. At the command, Festus, right, the Roman governor, uh, said pa uh, pa Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man 
the whole Jewish community um, has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought to not live any longer. I found he had done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think this is unreasonable to send a prisoner to Rome without uh, specifying the charges against him. Okay, pause there for a moment. Right, so Festus, this newly appointed Roman governor, has heard the case that the Jews have presented against Paul, not really seeing, again, any evidence that would prove him to be put to death by any means. Paul, last chapter, appealed that he be sent to Caesar um, and more or less the Supreme Court at that time of the Roman Empire. And that's what's happening uh, according to Roman custom. But before that, Festus is like, I don't really know why I'm sending Paul. And so King Agrippa, can you hear this case again, right? The fifth time now that Paul has presented um, his defense, so to speak. And so we're going to hear that in verse 26. But the cards are set. King Agrippa, his sister Bernice, the military officials, the high high court is all gathered once again to hear the case. And so here we go. Uh, chapter 26 of the book of Acts. Verse 1. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Go ahead, Paul. So Paul motioned with his hand and he began his defense. King Agrippa. I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today for I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Verse 4. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child. From the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem, they have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I conform to the strict sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee, and now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises from the dead? Verse 9. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from synagogue to another and to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. I also was so obs uh, obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Verse 12, on one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. 
about noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, he's talking about his salvation story here, road to Damascus, right? We've heard about this, Acts 8, Acts 9. As I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I ask, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. Verse 17. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among them those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus and then to those in Jerusalem and all Judea and then to the Gentiles. I preach that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day, so I stand there, uh, stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and that at the first, uh, and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. Right, Paul gave this great defense. Festus interrupts uh, hearing what he said and he says this. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. Verse 25, I'm not insane. Most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because... It was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that it is such a short in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, Short time or long, I pray that God pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. The king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice and all those sitting with them. After they left the room, they began saying to one another, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Okay, kind of a long text there. Thanks for staying with me. But once again, what you, what we see and what we hear is Paul's case presented now to King Agrippa. And as you can see, he is contending with his Jewish counterparts here, with his own people. He's reminding them of his own life story, 
right? In in the even in his letter to the to the book in Philippians in chapter three, go ahead and read the first several verses. It reminds me of that because. Paul, when he's writing to the church in Philippi, again, is giving his credentials as the Jew of Jews, the Hebrew of Hebrews from the tribe of Benjamin, who studied under the priest Gamaliel, who had, who was most zealous, zealous to the points of persecution. And he's trying to make this case, not only in the, the book of Philippians, but here before King Agrippa, that what he's saying and what he's preaching is not in contradiction to the Jewish people or what they believed or what they have been hoping for for centuries. But what Paul is rather doing is bringing the missing piece of the puzzle. He is presenting them the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what he did upon the cross and his resurrection is not contradictory to the Jewish people and their belief system and their religion, but rather the missing piece, the answer, the thing that the prophets spoke about for centuries, the reason why they've been waiting and waiting and waiting and praying and hoping for salvation and for a savior and for the Messiah is found in the person of Jesus, Yeshua. The Messiah has come. And Paul, the reason why he's been in prison and on trial and he stands here today isn't because he's preaching some contradictory uh, uh, truth, but rather the truth that is meant to set them free. And again, he's doing it with his credentials as a Jew. You know me. I was one of you. I persecuted everyone. I was against Christians. I was persecuting the church. But right, but one day when I went to that foreign city, when I went, when I was on my way to Damascus, uh, commissioned by you to go persecute the church, something happened. I met the Lord. There was a moment that changed the course of my life, that changed everything. And the reason I am what I'm doing now is because of that very moment. That no longer was I commissioned to persecute and to kill Christians, but rather I was newly commissioned and appointed by God to be an eyewitness and, and to testify of the goodness of who God is in the person of Jesus so that everyone, Jews and Gentiles alike, would be forgiven of their sins. That they would turn from their wicked ways. They would turn to God. They would be forgiven. They would be reconciled to their Father who's in heaven. And they would become part of a new family, the family of God. And that family is meant to consist of every tongue, tribe, and nation, not only the chosen Jewish people, but now Gentiles are now grafted into that same family of God. Paul is reminding us of his life story. What he's doing before King Agrippa is he is giving his testimony. It's in the way of a defense, but everyone that hears, what's even, the, what's even his, his driving force at the end there? Because King Agrippa, you know, Paul's kind of contending with him. He's asking him some questions and King Agrippa says, are you trying to like get me saved? 
right? Did you catch that? Are, are you trying to make me a Christian? And Paul says, you know what? Whether it's now or whether it's later, my prayer is that you and that everyone that hears what I'm saying is saved and comes to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Not only, not only that you would know Jesus here, but that you would believe and repent and turn and be forgiven of your disobedience and the sin which we accrued against our God and that we as a human people, Jews and Gentiles, everyone that believes would become the family of God. Again, Paul is presenting this. He's reminding us of this. And what I think, there's, there's a... There's a um, I think two, two things I want to point out. One is this idea of a new commissioning that I just alluded to. And secondly, it's a new community that uh, comes from being saved. And I want us to see that connection there, right? On the road to Damascus, Paul is saved. And God gives him a new commission, a new task, a new purpose in life. No longer to persecute his church, but actually to be an ambassador on behalf to grow the church. Not only to grow the church in amongst the Jewish people, but to go to foreign cities and foreign nations and foreign people groups, and that Paul would bear witness of who Christ is to them, and that the church would grow by this new commissioning. But then it doesn't stop there. Paul contends and he's fighting for this new ideal that we're now a part of a new family, the family of God. And who are we centered around? It's Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, the Son of God, that God sent him to save us, that whoever should believe would be saved would have abundant life, would have the hope of eternal life, and would become a part of this new family of God. Okay, so first, that commissioning. When I think of a commissioning, right, I think of um, a ship being commissioned, right? Maybe it's a, a military vessel, a part of, a, you know, the Navy. The Navy uh, makes a new aircraft carrier or a new ship, and there is a ceremony to commission this ship. And, and what that's doing is it's commissioning this ship for a certain purpose and a certain task and a certain role right in, let's say, in the military. has a very certain, uh, a specific role and task and where that role and task is played out. Uh, again, if it's like an aircraft carrier, it could be anywhere in the world for decades to come. But there is a commissioning that takes place. There is a celebration, a commissioning, a service that takes place, acknowledging what that ship was made for and the task that it is commissioned to do. Paul reminds us of his own commission, that he has been appointed by God as an apostle to bring the good news to the rest of the world. But I want to connect the dots for a second and remind us that if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, that all of us have also been commissioned with a certain task and a purpose. And that task and purpose, just like Paul, is to bear witness of the good news of who Jesus is to those around us. 
right? We, we have coined this, or spe a specific text in Scripture, the end of Matthew 28, as the Great Commission. When Jesus gathers his 12, his disciples, and he commissions them to make disciples, to go out not only to Jerusalem, not only to Judea, but to the very ends of the earth, they would take the truth of who Jesus is. He would commission them to teach those around them about who Jesus was and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And people would get saved and the truth of who Jesus would, would spread to the ends of the earth. Well, we carry that baton. We carry that commissioning. Church, do you hear me? Here in Honolulu, here in Hawaii, wherever your life would take you, that is the where. But your task and our role and our responsibilities, our kuleana, right? What we, what we are called to, what our responsibility is as Christians is to pass on, to teach, to proclaim, to preach, to show who Jesus is, specifically to a lost and dying, broken world, that they would know the hope that we have in Christ. As you know, the world around us is perishing. The world around us is lost, it's confused, it's searching for meaning and purpose and, 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 and for their life to have meaning. And we have the truth of that. We know how God's designed humanity. We know that we're supposed to be in relationship with God, but sin has separated us. And the only way for that relationship to be reconciled and made right again with God as it was designed is through the person of Jesus Christ. That no one comes to the Father except through the Son. Paul is contending for this because he's commissioned to it. And we, church, in the same way, are commissioned. Now, how we do that in our everyday life is going to be very different from the Apostle Paul. My life and how I do it is going to be very different from your life. But part of being a Christian is knowing that we are commissioned to be witnesses of God to the world. Do you know that today? Do you know that? It's not just a pastor's role. It's not just a pastor's job. You know what actually my job is? Ephesians would say that part of my job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Part of that would be telling you that it's actually your job to go do this. I, I share in that, but again, I have a specific role and calling and way I do that. But all of us are involved in this worldwide task to make Jesus known. Will you join me in that? Church, let's fan the flame in our calling, in our commissioning to do that. But I want to reassure you that this calling and commissioning also comes with a new community. That we aren't supposed to do this solo or alone or just feel like we're isolated and siloed in this task. But the Christian's life, the life of the Christian, is to be lived in community. God designed us that way. And, and I, I feel like I'm singing to the choir because I've said this over and over, that we are to do life together. I know we have a lot going on. 
I know we have our own families and our jobs and responsibilities. And community takes work. And it's sticky and it's hard and it's messy and it's complicated. But nonetheless, God desires to for us as Christians to be in community. And the reason why is that when we're saved and when we're commissioned, we're actually called into, brought into a new family. The family of God. We're grafted into the family of God. And unless you are Jewish, you're a Gentile. Like myself, Gentiles, as Paul would say 2,000 years ago, we are grafted into the beloved family of God. That we too share in the blessings and the purposes of who God is. That we're a new family with new purpose. That we're reconciled to our Father. That we've been saved by our Lord. And really, right, that should change us. We should know we're a part of something now, this worldwide family of God. We should pray for one another. We should know that there's a global family, that even though we're different, have different denominations, that we should be unified by one Lord and we're one people under that Lord. Regardless of our skin color or our language or our age or our economic status, right? When all of these nations and all these dividing walls break down, what will heaven be like? It will be a people that are surrounding their God in worship. And worship will consist of different languages and and there'll be different people. And it'll be this beautiful picture. But we're a part of a new family. We're to do life. We're to love Jesus. We're to love others. We're to be commissioned and share the truth in community. And one of the reasons why I'm a, I'm a pastor, not only because I feel like I'm called to be, and that's what that's my specific role in the kingdom, right? I'm to bear witness of true G, who Jesus is by doing this. But also because I love the local church. As messy, as complicated, as drama, and as sinful, and as hurtful as the church can be. I still am holding on to God's design for the local church and what it's meant to be. Despite its messiness, despite the pain, despite our differences, that we are called to be a people gathered around a person, and that person being Jesus Christ. But you know, one of the greatest parts about the local church is koinonia. It's fellowship. And what that means, koinonia, is the ability to serve each other with our emotional bandwidth, with our ears that we'd listen to each other, with our resources that we'd help each other in need, that we'd encourage each other in our, in our walks with Jesus, that we'd watch each other's kids, that we'd help each other move, that we'd pray for one another, that we'd bear each other's burdens, that when we have loss in our life, that we would be there for each other. Even tonight at our barbecue, as we sit around those tables and eat that food and share our lives with one another, that is koinonia. That is the fellowship of the saints that is meant to happen in the family of God in our new appointed, commissioned tasks and roles as a new family. But the reason why I love the local church is regardless of where you live, right? we're a part of 
the, the universal family of God, but also I am a huge proponent of every single Christian getting plugged into a local church in or around where they live and do life and have community or where they work or whatnot. It is so important that all of us are plugged in and committed to a local church. Again, I know this is our local church, and I love it, and it's awesome, and I'm so excited for it. And if you're a part of Reality Honolulu, you're, 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 you're my local church family. If you're a part of another church, you're also my family. But as a pastor of a local church, knowing so many other pastors on island here, on island here of, of other local churches, we love our church. We love what God's doing. We feel called to it. And we just want to know that, that we're in this with you. This local expression of the church. We're committed to you. We want you to be committed to us. We want to be a family. Even though we don't know each other as well. We're not all good friends and whatnot. That's what we're striving towards. We're striving to be a people. Regardless of our differences, our views, our stances. That we would be gathered around Jesus. And even when we have our differences, we will be able to go to one another and, and share with one another and listen and, and, um, and have understanding. But we wouldn't take it lightly and we wouldn't, um, we would really view it as a family, that we would want to work through things and think the best of one another and speak the best of one another. Again, I could preach on that for a long time because I'm so passionate, but I'm reminded of that in the text. Paul is saying, what I'm saying is a beautiful thing. I know you're coming against me here, but it's a beautiful thing. It's a thing that you've been waiting for. And let me tell you what salvation brings. It brings a commissioning. And when that commissioning does, it actually gives you a new community and a new family that we're all supposed to live in and, 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 and into. So Reality Honolulu, as we reform our family as we know it, August 1st, I am so excited to be a part of this local church, knowing that God is at work and he desires to not only grow us in breadth, but in depth, that we would be a family that serves one another and our community around us and bears witness of the name of Jesus so that many others would come to know him. Uh, let's pray for our time of worship. I hope to see you tonight at our barbecue and um, so excited for what God is doing. But let's worship him in this time. And uh, I love you, church. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for just that we have it. Thank you for the reminder of it. God, I pray that for all of us, if we feel connected, plugged in to a local church or not, that you'd continue to do that, that we would feel connected, that we would feel plugged in, that we're a part of it. Um, God, we, we want to lift up our own church. We ask that you would always be the lead pastor, the senior pastor of it. It would be your church. You would have your way. And um, God, we want to be more like you. God, we want our life to, to bear witness, to show others, to teach others of the hope that we have in the person of Jesus Christ. Would you give us the words? Would you give us the confidence? Would you give us the boldness and the opportunity to do so? Would you remind us that we're all commissioned, that we're all part of this, and that we're all together in it, that none of us are alone, but we bear each other's burdens. We love you, Lord. We pray that you would be exalted in this time of worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.